as a freshman, I started at shortstop. We got to win the Ivy League, uh, go to regionals and play at Corrales, where we beat Nebraska and got to play Oregon State two times. That's the big part has to do with her associate head coach, Tucker Frawley. He's the guy when it comes to defense at the collegiate level. We have three different lanes. One's going to be a one-hand lane, a two-hand lane, and a backhand lane. We also talk about being able to have versatile toolbox and being able to use one hand to gain more ground and have a little bit more room for air. When you're fielding, if you're looking for a hard hit ball that you need to range for, a routine ground ball a little bit to your left is going to be and look a lot easier to get to. Fellas, 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 welcome back to the Farm System Podcast, your home for baseball development. We're here for you, by you, and with you. I'm your co-host, Joey Cunha. And I'm Bo Callis. This podcast is designed for coaches, players, scouts, really anyone looking to further their development in the game of baseball. Here at the Farm System, we take pride in being lifelong learners, and we are here to be a bridge from where you are to where you're going. We'd like to welcome back our veteran listeners. We're happy to grow with you again. We'd also like to welcome our first-time listeners, the rookies. Don't worry, every vet was once a rookie. On this episode, we sit down with Dai Dai Otaka. This is my guy. He's an infielder over at Yale, one of the top, one of the top, the top fielding percentage school in the entire nation. And, you know, he's going to dive into topics that might step on your toes, but he's a passionate, passionate learner about the game. And he's going to dive into some of the routines of what, what they go on at Yale. And we're really excited for you guys to listen in. Pull up a seat, grab your notepad. Here's Dai Dai Otaka. Welcome back to the farm system. We're here with Dai Dai Otaka, an infielder from Yale and fielding enthusiast. Dai Dai, we appreciate you taking some time out of your day to sit down and chat with us here at the farm system. Uh, thanks for having me. Pleasure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, I think you have a lot of value that you can add to our listeners. I mean, you play for Yale, which is, you know, last year was the top fielding uh, school in the entire nation. So we wanted to dive into that, kind of pick your brain about, you know, some of the routines and some of the things that you guys are doing over there at Yale. And, um, you know, I know that I follow you on, on social media and I've been following you for a while. So I know you're a fielding enthusiast and you really dive into that stuff and take pride in it. So we're looking forward to diving in with you. Yeah, thanks for uh, taking the time to pick my brain. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, let's kind of jump into it here, Dai Dai. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about your journey that the game of baseball has taken you on? Yeah, well, just start at the beginning. I uh, Ever since I can remember, you know, around the age of three, I uh, always had a ball, glove, bat in my hand. You know, I always, I guess, loved playing the game. I think the big thing for me when I really started to enjoy the game a lot more was when I was around six, I went to a bunch of double A uh, games in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Um, I went to about like 30 games a year. Um, my mom drove me there all the time. I thank you for that. But when I went to those games, I uh, I got to meet all the guys that played on the team, uh, and they let me in onto the field before the game. They played catch with me, you know, taught me how to field ground ball. Like one of the first players that I met, Andrew Beatty, he uh, he threw me ground balls and taught me how to funnel you know, and feel the backhand. And I was six, and that was kind of like my first lesson, my first kind of, you know, joy for the game that I that they instilled in me. Um, and that was, that was a really cool experience that I think really shaped my uh, journey going forward. After that, you know, I'd go home, I'd practice, practice what he teach me and stuff, uh, throwing a tennis ball against the wall for hours, you know. Um, wall balls, I think, where I learned a lot about fielding, to be honest with you. Um, it's funny looking at Twitter nowadays, you know, coaches complain about kids playing Fortnite and I never really had that, uh, those video games. So I would always play with, uh, wall ball and, you know, kind of hone my skills, have some fun, learn about fielding that way. And then after that, you know, like, as I got older, I went to high school. Uh, when I was in high school, I went uh, down to Florida to take some fielding lessons with a guy named Rafi Rodriguez and uh, second, the former second baseman for St. Louis Cardinals, Luis Alicea. He used to be you know, go Glover. Uh, and they really taught me how to time up the ball with my glove and with my transfer. And my transfer just became so much faster. My fielding uh, became a lot better, you know, uh, being able to read the hops. And then obviously my dad would throw me endless BP, hit me a bunch of grounders. And I'm, I'm really thankful for that. Played some ball throughout high school, fortunate enough to get recruited by Yale. 
uh, committed my junior summer. And uh, as a freshman, I started at shortstop. We got to win the Ivy League, uh, go to regionals and play at Corrales, where we beat Nebraska and got to play Oregon State two times. Uh, that, was a, that was a pretty cool experience. Um, this year, I partially tore my UCL at the beginning of the season, so I only played that the second half of the season uh, at second base, but you know it was a good experience. We got to go to the conference championship again, and uh, now I'm on my way to play my junior year. Man, those darn UCLs, they'll get you every time, huh? Mm-hmm. That's, that's such a cool story, though, and it's so cool we have a guest on that still has um, some college playing experience left. I kind of want to dive into a piece of that you touched on there, and that's your high school rec- uh, recruiting process. Can you kind of dive yeah. into that for us? And then what's some advice you have to high school players that are going through that process right now? For sure. Um, I guess the recruiting process for me, it was definitely a little bit less stressful than I expected, partly due to getting a D1 offer right off the bat my junior fall. That really helped me kind of keep me grounded and not, you know, look too much into the offer part of the of the recruiting process. I was able to kind of work on my skills a little bit more. Um, I personally wanted to keep looking, and they were, they were super cool with me taking my time, and honestly, I can't thank them enough for that. Other than that, I went to a few camps, mostly in the Midwest. I'm from Michigan, so went to a bunch of camps in the Midwest, but uh, I either got a preferred walk-on offer or nothing at all from those schools, so I decided not to really commit to those schools. I was talking to a bunch of D2 schools and went on a lot of those visits, but because I had my D1 offer and I was, had my sights playing at a D1 level and wanted to keep my options open. Uh, and then junior spring and summer, I emailed a bunch of colleges, one of them being Yale, and they, they responded. They came out to watch some games in the summer of my junior year, so going into my senior year, and uh, came out to my games, offered me, and it was really a dream come true with their high academics, and uh, they're also D1 school, so it was a good combo. So I committed my junior summer, and uh, it's been a pretty cool ride so far. As far as advice I would get to high school players, I actually have a few. So unless you're already getting a bunch of D1 offers, I think that reaching out is your best bet. You should email the coaches and email them often. Make sure you're writing the emails, not your parents. I'd say to uh, include your name, your position, high school, obviously, what summer team you play for. Um, maybe talk about your academic record if it's pretty solid. I think one of the big things is including video. Hitting, fielding, pitching, catching, in-game highlights. It doesn't have to be too long, just a short 30-second to one-minute clip that encompasses everything that you do because that's how I think college coaches really judge, you know, if they're going to want to go watch you at games and stuff like that. Along with some metrics like your 60, your velo, you should also put in references with honest coaches that can talk to the colleges and tell them what they really think and what kind of player you really are. You really don't want a coach that's going to boost you so much that, you know, when you get to the college, you're like, this kid isn't what, you know, the high school coach or the summer coach said he was going to be. My second advice would be to have realistic expectations and to not fixate on a B1 or a big-name school and to find the right fit. And you hear that all the time, you know, and what is it really to find the right fit? I think it's to go somewhere where you can really get better and where they value your skill sets and tools, where you can really fit in. I know a lot of guys that go to big-name D1 schools and they commit early, but they sit and end up transferring somewhere their sophomore or junior year and don't have as much fun of a career. But there's also guys that I played with that didn't get great D1 offers, so I ended up going JUCO, got better, transferred to D1 after a year or two, and ha- are having time of their lives getting drafted, etc. cetera. Um, even others I know that went to D1 as a preferred walk-on and, and are now starting. So, you know, I personally was fortunate enough to be able to go somewhere with a great coaching staff and Coach Stuper and Coach Tucker Frawley, who both really appreciate defense and uh, understand its importance and value my tools as much as any coach out there. And that's what I think high school players need to keep in mind is to find the right fit in that way. Yeah, man, that's awesome. And I'm, you know, we're so happy that you found a great fit there. And, you know, especially going through with the injuries and things you have, I've also seen, uh, you know, Tuck on a, a number of occasions post you as examples of fielding and things like that. So I, I know that they really embrace you over there. So, you know, kind of diving into that, what, what do you think that sets Yale apart uh, when it comes to defense? I mean, you guys were ranked the top number one defense in the nation last year. What, what, what do you think sets you guys apart? Yeah, it's, it was pretty cool to be 
you know, a number one team uh, with the fielding percentage of Division One baseball. Uh, and I think that's the big part has to do with her associate head coach, Tucker Frawley, that you mentioned. Uh, his, you know, his in Twitter infield chatter has like 15,000 followers. He posts some really good stuff. He's the guy when it comes to defense at the collegiate level. And I think what he does and what we do as a team that sets us apart is our focus on the little things. We always do hand circuits every day. Um, that's a really big part of how we hone in our ability to, you know, get the short hop, get the long hop, and, you know, focus on the little things. Uh, in the winter, we go out when it's snowing, we take grounders, really take pride in defense. We also do a lot of films to see what we're doing as well. So every practice with, uh, with fielding, it's, it's a competition. We keep track of every grounder with film. Uh, we take videos of what we're doing that day. Every ball you catch, every ball you throw, it's recorded. Um, and then so we walk into the clubhouse the next day after practice, and we have report cards on our, on our lockers. And it's, it's a sheet of paper that shows us which balls we missed. You know, if it was like a backhand short hop or backhand high long hop, is it was it a forehand short hop or a slow roller? Um, and then it also shows us where we threw the ball away. And so in this way, Coach Coach Ferrari kind of is able to track what parts of our defense needs work catered toward the individual, and we're also able to see you know what we need to work on, what parts of you know the the lanes that we need most work on to get better. And I think. Catering everything to each player, to each individual, is a big, uh, is very important, as well as the competition aspect that kind of helps us forget about the mechanics and kind of play hard, uh, has that great kind of mentality. Um, another thing is that Coach Raleigh really has the cues down, you know, and you hear about this all the time, how college coaches kind of use just like one cue or, you know, two or three different, two, two or three comments to you know, tell players what to do or how to do a certain action. Coach Frawley really has different cues for each individual player. He'll talk with us and say, what's going to help you? Remember to maybe like stay down on a backhand and bury your head. Is it bury your head? Is it, you know, stay in your legs? Is it working through it? And we kind of talk through There's a lot of communication that goes on. And I think that's kind of like the biggest difference. It's not really about like taking more grounders or, you know, doing just like short hop drills just for fun or like the different types of drills in themselves i think it's about the communication and how much we focus on the little things with coach Frawley. yeah man i love that and i love how uh in depth you guys are i think in a kind of a society in the way baseball is going offensively you know i i, I love to hear that defensive perspective and it's pretty apparent why you guys do so well defensively kind of building off that you touched on it a little bit there uh, can you kind of take us through what a typical day of practice looks like for you guys over there at Yale? Yeah, I guess in general, we will first stretch, do some base running, PFPs, bonds, and then we break off and do our infield, outfield, and hit BP. But on the defensive side, especially in the infield, we really take pride in that. We had, I mean, our infield practices are pretty, pretty long. And long, not in the way of time, but in the way of intensity. And uh, during those times, we always do hand circuits, like I said before. Every single day, we get on our knees, and uh, we'll go through each lane, the backhand, the uh, two-hand lane, the forehand, uh, and we'll do long hops, short hops, and snakes in all of our three lanes, and we'll do two sets, one with the two-set pattern, uh, one with the four-set pattern, and that's kind of how we ingrain our patterns and make sure that we're kind of focused for that day. What we do is, so Coach Farley will be, let's say, at third base doing our hand circuits, and there will be other guys that short, second, and first, and we'll be working on fungos during that time, either working on lanes uh, or a certain foot pattern for each for each day uh, and for each round. So one day we might work on, okay, we're going to do a lane theme, and we'll do, you know, a backhand, a two-hand, a one-hand. And then another day we might work on a foot pattern theme, and we'll say, okay, you can feel the ball in any lane, but we're going to work on a two-step for this round or a four-step on this round. And that's how we kind of go through our fungo progression. Um, it's pretty cool is we have our Friday night and Saturday night, Saturday night uh, pitchers, our aces, hit us fungos. One's a lefty, one's a righty. And we get to see different angles, different speeds off the bat. We get to see, you know, one's a lefty, so a different tail than a righty. And it's cool because when you have others hit you fungos, it's not the same mundane uh, type of fungo over and over. It's a little bit different. There's different speeds 
um, and we're able to see uh, the different fungos. So we don't get used to one fungo. Another thing is that we throw, we don't throw too much in season. We kind of ingrain our footsteps. We ingrain reading the ball, uh, reading the hop. And then from there, we'll, after a few fungos and going through our hand circuits, we'll do uh, a few throws from each lane and foot pattern with each foot pattern. So we'll, you know, do like, all right, two ground balls at you, uh, two hand lane. One's going to be a two-step pattern. One's going to be a four-step pattern. We'll go through with the backhand, the uh, the one hand or the forehand. We'll turn a few double plays, and then we'll few on the run, and that's that's our uh, infield day. But it's it's pretty intense. We we kind of get going. We grind out uh, in about fifteen to twenty minutes. It's a lot of grounders. Well, you know that I one thing I want you to kind of dive into for us just. Um, even though you guys do it every single day, you said a couple words that I wanted you to break down for us. So, um, first, could you just describe what a lane is um, for listeners that don't know what that is? Could you explain what a lane is? Yeah, so a lane is going to be kind of what part, I guess, where you're going to field the ball. So, we have three different lanes. One's going to be a one hand lane, a two hand lane, and a backhand lane. And so, those lanes are from the from the one hand lane going to go left to right. Uh, so the one hand lane is essentially more of like a forehand for the most part, and essentially the lane where you're going to be fielding the ball with one hand. And the two hand lane is usually the ball's kind of right at you or one that you can kind of get in front of. That's where you're going to field with two hands for the most part. And then the backhand lane obviously is lane to your right, usually with that you're able to to backhand in. So we have three different lanes that kind of specify for each type of uh, receiving way of receiving. I mean, I'll dive into this later probably, but defense is such it, – it's it's very different than hitting where you do the same thing over and over or at least try to. Fielding is – every ground ball is different, you know, and it's uh, – just because it's the same ground ball, depending on the speed of the runner, your comfortability, depending on the field, you're going to feel the same ground ball a little bit differently than someone else. So just because, you know, there's one handling, which is the forehand we sometimes work on, Children the one hand on balls to the right of us. And that's going to be our one hand lane. Or even balls right at you, you can field with one hand instead of two hands. And we'll get into that later, but a lot of those things that we kind of focus on, we kind of try to make it, generalize it with the lanes, but we also talk about being able to have a versatile toolbox and being able to use one hand to gain more ground uh, and have a little bit more room for air as well uh, in our talks. Got it. Okay, and then also uh, you said uh, there's two more things I wanted you to dive into. Could you kind of talk through, um, and I know you probably dive into this a little bit later on, um, but you also said, you said something about snakes. What is a snake? Yeah, snakes are uh, ground balls that hug the ground. Um, okay. Those are going to be kind of like the ones that roll on the ground, not not really any bounces. Those are pretty tough, actually, especially on dirt and grass because you don't know when it's going to bounce off. Um, and so we work on that, trying to stay down, keep your goals down the whole time. Uh, and that's, I think that's a vital part of, of defense that some, some teams can forget. Gotcha. So what are some ways with the snakes? How do you guys set up um, kind of a scenario where you kind of get more snake ground balls? Do you just kind of roll it as close as you can to the floor? Or what are some ways that you guys work on that? Yeah, so for the snakes, we definitely uh, ingrain that in the, in the, in the hand circuit where – Coach Farley will just roll it on the ground. And we have turf, so it's a little bit different than a team that has uh, has a dirt infield. But we just roll it on the ground, let it hug the ground. We kind of try to just read it and make sure we stay down with the gloves. Gotcha. Okay. Well, you know, uh, I, I, first off, I appreciate you breaking uh, breaking those out for us because I know everybody uses different terminology on, on all those different plays. and lanes and things like that. And even though I know what it is, cause I've been following you guys and uh, tuck for a while, uh, I understand how you guys do that, but I know some, some listeners might've been, uh, you know, uh, trying to figure that out for them. So awesome. I appreciate you breaking that down for us. Um, could you, you know, kind of talk through some of the mindset and techniques, you know, mindset techniques for infielders and how they can become, you know, and how those techniques can make them a better infielder. Yeah. So I think first off, you know, as an infielder, you have your basic, uh, knowledge of, you know, how many outs there are, where the runners are, uh, you know, what what the score is and stuff like that. Um, but I think one thing that can really make you a better infielder is 
to know or at least have some general idea of how fast the batter is um, because your internal clock, when I say internal, internal clock, it's going to be your idea of how fast you need to get the ball from your, your hand to first base. You should kind of know how long each ground ball is kind of is uh, in general idea to get somebody out. And that's going to be your internal clock. So when you know how fast the batter is, you can attack a ball a little bit differently. So, for example, if it's, uh, if it's you know, the one hitter, he's playing center field, he's a lefty, and he hits a chopper, you know, to you and you're playing shortstop, you're most likely going to have to charge that and throw it on the run because you're into the clock, it's telling you, this guy's pretty fast, I need to get it there in time. Versus if it's a slow guy, you know, maybe a four hitter, he's maybe a catcher or first baseman, he chops it, you have a little bit more time and you can kind of just sense where he is. That can really make or break a defense. Another thing is pre-pitch. That's that's kind of a big aspect that we talk about at Yale. We talk about kind of being able to to range and dive on a hard hit ball and be being ready for that on each pitch. You know, it's it's like a parallel with hitting, right? So when you're hitting, for the most part, you're going to be looking fastball and adjusting the off speed. You're going to sit fastball and adjust the off speed because you'll be able to react better. In the same way, when you're fielding, if you're looking for a hard hit ball that you need to range for. A routine ground ball, a little bit to your left, is going to be and look a lot easier to get to, you know. And your first step is probably more more likely going to be quicker because you're anticipating the ball coming to you at a high speed. Um, and so, as a mindset, one thing that we use at Yale is ready to range. That's kind of what Coach Frawley uses for us. Um, you know, other people can use like expect it or other things like that. But some key word to help you remember to kind of be ready for a ball that you're going to need to range for or not just in your general area, I think it's, it's a great way to increase your range, even with the mental side of the game. Yeah, man, I love that. I think those are some great mindsets you suggested there, especially like I mentioned, how the game's kind of transitioning to glorify home runs. Can you kind of open up why you take pride in being such a great defender? Yeah, you know, I think it's uh, it's like anything else that you put time and effort into and and when others acknowledge your skill set as, as something very special, you want to keep improving. It's uh, it's definitely something I've really worked hard at. Um, and I think it's definitely an overlooked aspect that's, that's still unable to be quantified, to be honest. You know, it's up until a few years ago, errors were something that used to be a big indicator for defensive ability. But, you know, we've now tried to stray away from it and look at things more like range factor or defensive war. But that's kind of hard to still say how good somebody is at defense in high school or even sometimes college by the numbers. Uh, and so I take pride in knowing the game and kind of like the sixth sense, if you will, of fielding, being able to read the right hops, trying to make every play look routine. Um, and I think it, it also comes with uh, making sure I can help the team win with my defense because that's why I'm out on the field and that's the reason why I'm in the lineup. You know, defense is, is my uh, – is my tool you know how some some guys are home run hitters that's their tool my tool is to play defense make outs that you know some other people might not be able to save runs and I think that's why I take such pride in being a uh, you know as good a defender as I can be yeah I think you make a great point that a lot of listeners need to develop and that's understanding the type of player they are and kind of understanding how they can impact the game whether that be offensive offensively defensively or, or whatever way they can I want to transition now, you know, being a student athlete at Yale, you guys carry a, a certain academic standard. How do you guys work to manage your time to meet that standard both on and off the field? Yeah, uh, it's it's definitely a grind, you know. Uh, we wake up, we have lifts, go to class, go to practice, get dinner, and then we, we hit the books, we hit the library till like 12 or 1, pretty much every day. And uh, it's funny because I have a lot of friends out there, you know, do one programs and they have mandatory library study hours, um, things like that for the players. And for us, you know, it's not mandatory because we go just know we're hitting the books pretty hard for the most part. Um, but honestly, managing time when you're busy is surprisingly a lot easier than when you have more free time uh, because you're going from one activity to the next, one right after another. You know, you can't get too distracted. And at the same time, I think the biggest thing about our program at Yale uh, and, able, and being able to kind of manage your time is, the upperclassmen and the guys that surround you in the clubhouse, you know, we're a really tight-knit group. We're all in it together. We help each other out with picking classes, studying for tests, 
And I think the big thing is we make sure to create time to hang out with each other and take a step back from the chaotic life of being a student athlete because, you know, it's it's tough when you're kind of in that zone, you know, in the fall and winter, it's kind of cold outside in, in Connecticut and you're trying to grind it out. And it's good to kind of take a step back and refresh your brain and relax and hang out with the guys. And I think that's our, the best way we manage our time. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, this next segment I'm I'm going to be really excited for. Um, I've seen you break apart a whole bunch of things and, and kind of following in, I would say, tuck fashion of breaking down fielding um, on social media. So I really want to get into the nitty gritty, some things that you, you mentioned earlier and kind of get into some of the technical aspects of fielding. Um, earlier, you had mentioned a two-step pattern and a four-step pattern. Could you kind of break down the basics of footwork and what are the, some of the variations? Yeah, uh, so... So after fielding this, this is a two-step pattern, four-step pattern. This is going to be after you field the ball. Um, and most of it's going to be dictated on your internal clock, like I said before. Um, the two-step pattern essentially is when you catch the ball and you just take one shuffle and you throw. So there's going to be no glove tap. Uh, just you field it, you take a shuffle, and you throw. The, the times that you do this is when you don't have as much time or uh, if you're already – pre-balanced with your body and when you don't have time that's usually when it's like a fast runner slower hit ball uh like i said with the internal clock that's a two-step pattern um you just field it and you shuffle and you throw the four-step pattern gets a little bit tricky and it can it's definitely uh, i think up until now it's been highly debated by coaches you know the four-step pattern incorporates a glove tap and many coaches are like don't don't glove tap don't shuck don't you know hate pound your fist into the glove because that's that's just not going to be you're not going to be able to throw accurately because you're going to rush and i think that's actually false because the, when you do a four set pattern is when you have time you know i it's a slow runner maybe it's a hard hit ball it's like a one hopper and you have some time to kind of regroup your body get balanced and uh help help you gain ground towards first base and when you have that glove tap it helps you keep you in rhythm uh because fielding and ba- and hitting baseball is all about rhythm and timing Fielding, especially if you don't have the right rhythm or timing, it's going to be really hard to throw accurately in field uh, as well as you can. So four-step pattern is going to be a shuffle incorporated with the glove tap and another shuffle. Uh, we kind of coach Raleigh kind of likens it to the quarterback in in the pocket. You know, you have the football and you're kind of looking around, making sure, uh, looking at where to throw. You're kind of tapping the football to your to your hand to kind of keep that rhythm. Um, and that's going to be the four-step pattern is where you field it. You take a shuffle, take another shuffle, and while you're doing that, you're going to be incorporating a glove tap to kind of keep you in rhythm and make sure you're ready to, to throw the ball. Yeah, and I love that you brought that up because, um, you know, too often, um, me and Bo kind of talk about this sometimes, I call it white boy baseball. <laughs> and what we do is, as coaches, sometimes we take away uh, players' timing mechanisms when it comes to hitting or when it comes to fielding. And if you take away a player's tap, or if you take a play, you know, um, in the, in the box, if you take away a player's like leg kick or whatever they use, you know, maybe a hand, um, something they do with their hands, something that they use as a timing mechanism. Um, you know, what a lot of times if, you know, you take away their timing mechanism, their rhythm and their timing is going to be off because you've taken what they've used to time the baseball. And so, um, I love that you kind of brought that up is because sometimes what, what I call white boy baseball is sometimes, um, I think for a while is that a lot of white players or players that are growing up, you know, just here in America period is they're kind of being coached out of their natural, um, self-organizing way of fielding, hitting, et cetera, where you can see, you know, some Latin cultures and a whole bunch of different cultures that a lot of times they're letting, they're being allowed to use those individualized, uh, self-organized timing mechanisms to make them as good as they are. So I'm glad that you brought that up and, and kind of jumped into that. And I kind of wanted you to now dive into as well is kind of the technical side. Cause I think this is one thing that gets overlooked quite a bit, but I always notice it as an infielder um, myself is I always notice the relay footwork and also transfer technique. So could you kind of dive into that and, and kind of gives, give us the fundamentals around that and kind of some ways that you've learned to speed that pattern up and uh, speed up that release and that transfer? Yeah. So I'm just going to go step by step. Hopefully it's easy to understand. But so let's say you're playing, you know, uh, infield and there's a ball hits the outfield. The first thing, obviously, is to align between the outfielder where the ball is and the base. So you're going to be head on the swivel making sure you're in line, you're going to be talking, communicating with 
either, you know, like what the the baseman or the catcher or whoever to kind of just get in line. And it's kind of your job also as the relay man to, to see what the optimal position is. Um, once you get in line, you're going to face the outfielder and create a big target with the chest. So obviously, in order for you to be able to make the quickest transfer, you want the outfielder to make the best throw possible, right? And so in order to make for them to make the best throw possible, the best thing is to create a big target so they know where to throw it. So what I like to do is I like to, to face the outfielder, create a big target by, you know, both hands up. It's your classic relay uh, relay technique and just, just yelling, you know, cut, cut. And then here's where it gets a little tricky, but as the ball is thrown and it, as it gets closer to you, you're going to be able to, you know, read out of the hand. Is it going to be a short hop? Is it going to be right at you? Is it going to be a little bit long? And from there, you're going to be turning sideways a little bit, and you're going to be moving your body. Depending on if it's a short hop, you're going to move a little bit forward maybe, or maybe get the long hop, you know, or maybe go back on a on a long throw, a longer throw, and you're going to be moving sideways. And the the reason why you move sideways as after the ball is thrown is because, one, you don't need a big target after the ball's thrown. He's not going to be able to throw it, or he's already thrown it, so there's no point. And the second thing is when you're sideways, you already turn to in position to throw to the base. So as the ball comes, you're going to turn your body sideways, and you're going to do a little hop, two-step hop, two-step pattern hop right, right before you catch the ball. The reason why you do this hop, and it's going to be kind of moving towards the base as well when you hop. You're not going to be hopping straight up. You're going to be moving and hopping a little bit towards the base that you're throwing to. And the reason why you're doing that is because when you receive the ball, you're going to have a little bit of momentum to work with so you can get a little bit more on the throw. And I liken this to kind of like the normal relay, right? It's called a relay for a reason. But when, a, when, you, when you watch relays, you know, the person that's waiting for the baton isn't just standing. So he's going to start running a little bit, right, to kind of mm-hmm. get some momentum going. And uh, that's how we want to take a relay in baseball as well. Kind of get your body moving towards the base and catch the ball hopefully around the middle of your body, probably closer to your face or your chest around the neck area that gives you the optimal uh, chance to transfer as fast as possible. And once you do hop and you catch in the air, you're going to be transferring and your foot, as you're literally, when your left foot's down, you're, you're going to be throwing and trying to get an accurate throw as possible. And I think that's the quickest way to, uh, to do a relay. Yeah. And I think uh, one thing that can't go understated that you mentioned is that, you know, where you're actually catching the baseball um, just like you said, you know, it's kind of like, just like Tucko was mentioning, kind of as a quarterback in the pocket, I've heard it analyzed like that too. Like a quarterback doesn't stand in the pocket with, you know, the football over his head or the football down at his knees or way away from his body. It's usually towards the middle, you know, middle of the chest or neck area um, so that he can, you know, uh, get rid of that football as, as soon as he can, if he needs to. So I love that. I think one thing that does that as well is obviously a player's feet. Um, as you mentioned, the guy going side to side, if a guy can't, you know, move his feet and get his body in a good position to catch the baseball, um, it's going to be really hard for him to transfer, um, as quick because, uh, you know, he, he, where, like you, just like you mentioned, where he's actually catching the ball is very important to that quick transfer. So glad you opened that up. And I, uh, another technical question I got for you to break down for us is what calls for a defender to funnel and what calls for them to push through? Because I've heard you know, arguments for, you know, guys are extreme, all funnel guys. And some guys are extreme, all push through guys. And I always, uh, following, uh, Tuck and you, I know there's a middle ground. So I want you to break that down for us. Yeah, it's, it's definitely interesting because I, uh, I, I mean, I go through Twitter and I try to learn as much as I can from others as well. And I watch a lot of, you know, YouTube videos with pro guys. And the other day I was trying to find, you know, like a, a short hop video, you know, that with a hand circuit. And I saw, Ozzy Albies of Major Leaguer saying push through the ball. And uh, I've been taught that as well before. And I guess through playing by my, as myself, I found that in a two-hand lane, you really don't want to push through. You want to funnel. Uh, pushing through, for me, tells me that my footwork was bad and I didn't read the hops right. So I, mm-hmm. I got set. I got my feet set to, to field the ground ball too early. And uh, because the short hop was further out in front than I expected, I had to rely on my hands to push through. And mm-hmm. that's, you want to be able to funnel. So I could have, so another reason, another thing that pushing through tells me 
is uh, I could have used one hand to catch the ball. So if I even if I get set too early, if I use one hand to push through, you're going to have more range and, and a little bit more ability to stay balanced because your leg is going to – your left leg is probably going to uh, come with you and trail, trail with your glove. If you kind of try to push through with two hands, you have – less range you're not going to be able to reach as far because you can't turn your shoulders and at least for me i i in in order to let my hands push through i'd have to stay on my heels and i'm not very balanced i like to stay moving as i feel the ball like you know they say keep your feet moving you really not feel you know you're not really keeping your feet moving when you're feeling and your legs are moving, your knees are bending towards first base as you're feeling the ball and i like to move my body to get in that position as quick as possible in order to do that funneling is my best way in the two-hand lane. Mm -hmm. uh, I think, you know, pushing through is good for forehands, backhands, but at the same time, like, fielding is a very intricate, you know, thing. And you don't, just because it's a forehand short hop or a backhand short hop doesn't mean that you're going to push through. You can't generalize. So what I found is when, let's say, like, you're fielding a backhand, and I, I tend to feel the backhand, with my feet sideways to home plate. So my chest is gonna be facing the third baseline. And I used to feel my backhand with my feet staggered. So my my left leg was a little bit more towards first base. It was a little bit open. Because, you know, people have told me, hey, like if you feel it this way, you you're gonna be able to just your body's already turned towards first base, right? On the back end. But as I found out as I kept practicing was when I personally feel it that way, I tended to look at first base a little bit quicker. My shoulders would turn a little bit faster. Um, and so because of that, my head would come up and my glove would come up and I'd have some issues with staying down. So I ended up closing my feet off, just kind of working through towards the ball and towards home plate with my legs. Uh, but going back to the, the push through thing with the backhand. So when my legs are closed off, they're you know par parallel or whatever to each other. And I'm pushing through on a short hop, I found that on a backhand, if the short hop is in the middle of your body or to the left, so closer to, I guess, to the mound, I guess, I would push through with my gloves and my legs. What I found out, I found out was when the short hop was in the middle of my body or a little bit to the right, I would still push through with my legs, but I would give with my gloves. And what that allows me to do is I'm still moving my my knees and my legs, and I guess, like, move my feet in technical terms, I guess. So I'm, I still have momentum. I'm still creating momentum. But by giving on the short hop when it's kind of to the middle or to the right side of my body, essentially my glove is staying in the same place because my body is moving forward. But I'm not pushing through and just putting too much force into the ball. Um, and it it's definitely creates a better, easier transfer because uh, I don't need to kind of reach out and get it. I can just let it give. And I you see at highlight reels and stuff like that, if it's like a backhand, it's kind of deep, one hopper, maybe at like shortstop or even third base, you'll see the third base when a shortstop kind of go back, spin the other way, and kind of give with the, uh, with the backhand. And I think, like I said, defense is just so hard to, to generalize. You, just because it's a short hop doesn't mean you're going to push through. I found that, you know, the farther back, you're going to have to give a little bit. So I thought that was pretty interesting. And I think a lot of the key phrases you hear, like, two hands, use two hands, you know, get in front of the ball, use two hands, charge the ball, or are mostly comments that were used for little kids when they were scared of the ball or didn't know how to feel and would feel the ball off to the side with one hand, you know, waiting back on it. And because so many players have heard it, when they become coaches, that's what they say, you know, and they don't realize that even on balls right at you, you don't have to necessarily use two hands and push through and do this alligator chomp. You can use one hand. You know, you can give on a backhand. You don't have to you don't have to push through on everything. And, you know, you can definitely use one hand if it helps you create a better hop because as long as you keep your feet moving, that's going to end up, you know, making you quicker than trying to feel the in-between hop with two hands. And I think cues and different things should be changed up a little bit so players can understand how to defend a little bit better. And you spit on a clinic right there, Umbo. Yeah, you <laughs> really did. <laughs> Um, I, I, I love that. And I think you made a great point, both in your, in your talking relays and the pushing and funneling is the importance of keeping your feet in lower half moving. Um, you know, fielding really does start from the ground up and fielder is really only going to be as good as his feet allow his hands to be as well. 
So obviously, Dada, you kind of develop those perspectives through both self-learning and as well as the work you've put in. Can you kind of dive into what your off-season routine looks like and what you make priority to get in daily? Yeah, uh, in the off-season, I definitely you know, work on you know lifting, trying to get bigger, trying to get stronger. Um, but outside of that, we hit as well, you know, hit a lot. But I think for infield, I really take pride in, you know, I guess as a priority, I, I really work on my hands first, you know, make sure that my hands are working smooth uh, in, in a fluid way. You know, you don't want to be stiff. Um, and then from there, I progress into just normal ground balls and being able to read the hops. I think that's one, something that I do every single day in the off season is make sure I take ground balls because that's, that's how I'm, you know, going to move forward in this game. That's, that's my tool. And I want to hone in on that and make it even better than than it is now and just make it as good as it can be. So I would, you know, just take some ground balls and be able to, to read the hops by opening up my left leg a little bit and seeing the ball from the side. You know, you feel it a lot. It's definitely hard to, to express in words without really seeing it. You see a lot of high school kids kind of put their left foot way too far behind the right foot. But that's just kind of looking at the, the the Latin guys, you know, but as you get older and you try to be as efficient as you can, you kind of start to see like, okay, this is how much I need to open up my left foot to read the hops and see it from the side so I can go in and get the short hop. And that's kind of one of the big things that I make my priority, make a priority in my daily practices in the off season, as well as hitting and, and getting bigger. Awesome. Well, and one thing, you know, you, we kind of, we talked about through as well as you kind of mentioned at the beginning is transitioning from short to second. Can you kind of dive into, it's been, I've heard so many different instructions on this as well as what's the the differences from playing shortstop to second base? Um, Is there a mindset difference and, and kind of just take us through that. Yeah, no, it was definitely uh, an experience for me because I played shortstop for a long time now and uh, hadn't played second since sophomore in high school. So about four years and uh it was definitely different because the the channels and the everything is different so like from a lefty at shortstop it's going to tail a little bit towards the line uh but at second base it kind of they'll have some top spin sometimes that is a little bit different than what you would get at shortstop obviously you have a little bit more time so it's, it's pretty nice but something that i really had to to make sure that i did was not stay back as much at second base, you know, at shortstop, you're like, okay, I don't have as much time. I need to keep my feet moving. At second base, it's really easy to get stagnant with the feet and kind of way back. And especially on turf, you have some true hops. So you can kind of take your time, just field it off to the side uh, with one hand and take your time. But I really had to make sure to get in the mindset of actually a shortstop and kind of charge and feel the ball as up front as I could. And just then after that, I can take a four step and take my time and, you know, shortstop, second base, I think the only big difference is double plays. Shortstop is more of, it's, it's, it's just a different feed, a different, you know, way of covering the base. And second base, is, there's a lot more going on. And you have to, to, there's so many different things they have to take into cover second base on a double play, whether it's from third base or shortstop. And I mean, that could be another whole podcast in itself. But I definitely have to kind of trust my natural instinct on how to, work double plays at second base. So it's definitely a little bit of a challenge, but the mindset really is pretty much similar and try to keep your feet moving as much as you can. That's awesome. Well, and you know, one thing I, it was uh, probably a couple of months back now, uh, Tuck had posted a video of you sliding on one knee um, up the middle and making a play from your, your back right leg um, at second base. And um, I had then went and started I actually practiced with our fielders and I had added you uh, when I posted that with our fielders is uh, actually practicing that play. And it's all, obviously it's a specialty play. It's a play that doesn't happen all that often, but I kind of wanted to dive into you and ask that question to you too. Do you think that we should practice uh, specialty plays? Do you think that we should make time um, in our days to make, you know, kind of give our, give us a bigger arsenal or what's kind of your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I think so. Those plays were, it's like a running throw or sliding on a knee or maybe it's like up the middle and you slide on a knee and you turn and you throw kind of like you saw, I think a couple of days ago, I think it's like basketball or something on MLB Instagram. Those are some things that it's good to have in your toolbox. You don't, we don't really necessarily practice like a one knee slide as a team at Yale, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, but mm-hmm. it's something that I practice on my own 
uh, either doing fungos when I'm, you know, either playing second or short and they'll hit one up the middle or to in this five, six hole. And I say like, okay, this is a ball that I'm, I might need to slide and pop up on. So I work on that. Um, I guess when you're young, it's good to, to work by, you know, rolling ground balls like you, you did in your tweet, in your videos, kind of start slow. Sometimes it's good to just see highlight reels and watch what they're doing and then kind of walking through it without the ball first and then have someone roll it to you. And then from there, you can progress and do it in fungos and then during it, do it during BP when you get live, live reps. Um, and I think specialty plays are definitely a good thing to have in your toolbox because they definitely do happen in games. I think one thing that don't necessarily happen in games is a very high risk plays or things like glove flips. You know, you saw, maybe you saw like a Jose Iglesias' glove flip or Joe Wendell's glove flip the other day. Um, and you see like Brandon Phillips do behind the back and stuff like that. And I think that's, you don't really practice that obviously, but that's something that comes from having fun with the game, you know. Like I said, when I was a kid, I played volleyball all the time. And as you grow up, I think way to get better at those specialty, like golf clubs and stuff like that, is, is by having fun with your friends before games and stuff like that, you know, playing playing flip and tips or whatever we call it um, before games, kind of being able to have the knowledge of how your body works, how your body's balanced, where you need to release the ball behind your back, let's say, to make an accurate throw, things like that, just having fun, just, you know, experimenting with all these different things is something that I think is a good way to start off with. And then once you kind of get a hang of it, maybe during fungos, you kind of incorporate that. And it's it's tough because some coaches will be like, hey, like, don't do a glove flip. That's really flashy or, you know, that's a really high-risk play. But if you can make that play 100 times out of 100 times in practice, then they're not going to say anything about it. You know, like sometimes in practice, there'll be like ground ball and playing second and we're, uh, we're turning double plays and I'll just catch the ball with one hand and kind of like flip it through my legs at the shortstop <laughs> to turn two, just to kind of get a sense of how my body works and be able to have that in my toolbox for when I need to do that in a game. Um, and I think if you can work on that when you're younger, the better, you know? Yeah. And I, Go ahead, Bo. I was going to say, yeah. I love that. And and when me and Joey were playing at Sterling, you know, we kind of do it for fun, but also if, if you never practice that thing, if you never put your body in those positions, when it has to happen in the game and you don't really have a choice, you you can never expect to make that play in, in, in a live setting. So, you know, if you're, if your coach doesn't allow you to, when I was playing at Utah Valley, we couldn't have any fun at practice. So <laughs> We we weren't allowed to practice those great plays, but like you mentioned, I I think the younger that you can get in there and kind of get after it and learn, the better you'll be when that position arises in the game. Yeah, no, I I definitely agree. I think um, that's it's definitely something that you should start when you're young. But even when you're older, you know, you can definitely have that in your toolbox. And once you get better at it, I think BP is very important. So underlooked by a lot of a lot of infielders, BP is one of I think the biggest things that I take pride in uh, as an infielder because it mimics gameplay at game speed with live batters, you know, like fungos, it's a little bit different because they're a little bit slower usually and you're working on things, but in BP, that's where you not only just like shag, but you're actually there to read the ball off the bat. You work on your prep step there, you know, uh, this is as much as a game setting as you can get to. You work on your first step quickness, work on your transfer, work on double plays, make sure you're catching the ball looking at first base, thing, in that muscle memory. Um, additionally, like infield fly balls, not like the ones right on top of you, but like maybe a little bit shallow in the outfield. That's, that's great for infielders because you get a grasp of how the ball tails on certain hitters. Um, maybe if you're playing short and it's a lefty, little, little loopy fly ball to, to line, it's going to tail a little bit more than you think, right? So instead of just, you know, having someone hit a fungo to you, that's pretty harder throw it to you when the ball is going to be spinning a little bit differently. In BP, you're going to be able to get a grasp of how far you can go, what kind of balls are the ones that you're going to be able to get to, how, what kind of balls tail a certain way, how to present your glove is going to be, you know, closer to your body and, you know, the back of your glove facing the ground because it's a higher pop-up and it's not going to travel as far, as far as you think, or is it going to be, you have to present it really far out in front of you because it's a lower, lower fly ball that's a little bit shallow and you're going to have to try to go and get it as much as you can. And, 
it's also good for outfielders as well. You know, if you're a coach, is the outfielders are able to communicate with the infielders and see how far the infielder can go on certain fly balls. And maybe that's going to give the outfielder a chance to play, you know, one or two sets back in a game because they're more comfortable with the infielder on shallow fly balls. And maybe that's a different scene, uh, an out and a hit and a double. You know, uh, those are, I think, really big things about BP that really gets overlooked and uh, something that I really take pride in. Yeah, and that's that's great. And I also think there's a responsibility, too, of the coach of, you know, just allowing it to be fun. I mean, for example, uh, you know, a lot of these coaches will talk about energy and a lot of these things. So, like, one time, you know, uh, basically what I do in in and out um, every single day before the game is when we're hitting the soft, you know, they're getting that soft ground ball that they, they get to come in on. To all of my shortstops, I hit a chopper that goes right over uh, the pitcher's head. So the shortstop gets to come up you know, kind of, it's that play where you filled with two hands, but you throw from your hip, if you know what I'm talking about. Um, yeah. yeah. So I let the shortstops make that play. And then the second baseman's, I kind of hit it like a push bunt and I hit uh-huh. it at such an angle that the only way they can get it to first base is they have to flip behind their back. So, yeah. so yeah. So it's funny though, because some coaches be like, no, like, you know, like, why would you guys be doing that? But it's funny because those plays started happening in the game. And now that the player has that in their arsenal inside their toolbox, you know, that play at some point is going to happen. And, and also too, players have a lot of fun with it. So um, it's funny that the energy thing is in an in and out when the second baseman comes up and makes that play and flips behind their back to the first baseman. um, And we, and you know, and it hits it and it's a clean play. The whole team goes nuts, right? They're like, Oh, and then the other team on the other team is like, you know, the infielders are like, Oh, that was nasty. And so, everybody, the whole energy just changes. So, you know, one thing I would hand over to coaches there is, you know, if you want the energy to be better, you know, let them have fun, you know, let them make hard plays. And then, you know, just like you had mentioned when it's funny that when I posted that video of uh, teaching, uh, teaching our middle infielders, how to make that one legged slide. Um, he actually did it the very next day in a game. And it's funny because you would think like, okay, how many times is this play actually going to happen? Well, it happens a lot more often when you have it in your toolbox and you, you're confident that you can make that play. Um, so he makes that play. It's funny. He throws it over to the first baseman, right to his chest. The first baseman drops the ball. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, that great play. First baseman drops the ball. And he, but, he, but he comes into the dugout and he's all excited. He's like, coach, you see, I made the play that we've been practicing. And so I thought it was funny. And I wanted to share that with you because it was brought on by you and by a play that you made uh, that you inspired. Uh, a lot of kids and they're having a lot of fun with it. So I wanted to bring that up, but um, you know, I think that's just a great point for coaches that want a lot of energy and stuff like that. It's just, you got to let the kids have fun. Yeah. That's, that's definitely the biggest thing is having fun. And I mean, it's a game, you know, we tend to forget that a lot, right. Um, but you're going to play your best and you're going to appreciate the time that you play a lot more when you have fun. And, you know, it's definitely challenging because I have trouble with that sometimes, you know, you get caught up in the moment, but it's good to take a step back and know why you love love the game and I think that's really crucial to to have fun and have good energy is you know sometimes being able to be a little flashy and kind of show some play and show how you play the game I agree yeah I love that um kind of before we move on I wanted to go back and pick your brain when you're in a double play situation say you got the ball in your glove you're you're too close to open up and throw do you prefer like a backhand flip or do you prefer to open up and do that underhand flip you know, I think it's. I think it really depends on the type of ground ball, um, and how much time I have, you know, where the runner is, in reference in respect to respect to, you know, where I am. I personally like to the closer I am, I guess I would flip underhand. The closer I am, because I can, I have the ability to flip it up and kind of let the shortstop come through and catch it at their own leisure at wherever they want to. When I'm a little too close to throw, that's most likely going to be the push, I guess, the side push or the, the backhand mm-hmm. type of flip. But it really depends on what kind of the ball that hits me. If it's like a normal like a normal routine ground ball and I can kind of get my body into it, uh, I'll probably do that. Um, but I can also do the uh, underhand flip from far away. And that's another thing, like we said before, is having that toolbox and being able to do both is, is good because not every single ground ball is going to be fielded or you know, done the same way, you know, so. That's a good answer. I think it's, it's like so many of our ge- our guests say it depends. So I think you did a good job answering that. Defense is, you know, really all about, it depends, you know, everything depends on 
the runner and how fast they are and what kind of hop it is and where you're playing and stuff like that. And it's it's really hard to generalize. And that's why I, I don't really like it when coaches gen- try to generalize fielding uh, mm-hmm. into a certain, you know, aspect of the game. You know, you got to have some versatility there. Absolutely. So, uh, so Dada, you've kind of gone through the process and you're playing at that elite college level. What advice would you give to some of our listeners that want to play at that Division One level? So I guess going back to the recruiting aspect, if you want to play D1, just reach out to the coaches, work hard, and try to get hit the numbers, you know, hit the metrics, the 60, the, the exit velo, because that's going to be a good way to kind of get on their radar. But other than that, you know, just, just play hard and, Make sure your parents are nice people. I see a lot of tweets from college coaches where, you know, a coach would will come up and say, like, how are their parents? Like, that's the first thing they ask. So, I mean, that's not on the player, but hopefully, you know, your parents are good people. And then one one last thing, like we talked about, is, is to have fun, you know. It's really hard to play baseball at the D1 level if you're not having fun and you're not enjoying the game. And you, you, can't, really, you can't really dictate where you're going to go. Um, but working hard and having fun. Those are the two, I think, biggest things that you should keep in mind if you want to play at the D1 level. Yeah. yeah. Having played at that level, I think Joy and I agree. And, and the biggest thing is to remember that it's a game and you, and you still got to enjoy it. As hard as some coaches are, you still got to enjoy it. So we've covered some great information today and, and you did share a lot of great perspectives, um, You know, especially being the first college player we've had on. If any of our listeners would like to reach out to you or contact you, what is the best way for them to do that? Yeah, uh, the best way to contact me would be to direct message me on uh, Twitter at die squared. It's uh, D-A-I underscore S-Q-U-A-R-E-D, die squared. Um, and that's that's the best way to contact me about whether it's about recruiting or infield play. I'm, I'm open to a lot of suggestions. So, Yeah, man, that's awesome. Well, I think, I think like I said, you did a great job, obviously, you being a top fielder at one of the top schools in the nation. I mean, I know it's something that you're an enthusiast about. And one reason why I reached out to you is just seeing how passionate you are about fielding. And I wanted you to open that stuff up for us. So we appreciate having you on and uh, making some time for us today. Yeah. Thanks for letting me talk about something I love doing. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely, man. Well, thanks again. It's so awesome that in the off season that, you know, Dai can take some time to talk with us and break down some of the fundamentals and also some high level stuff when it comes to fielding. This call takeaway is brought to you by Quality at Bats. Don't forget to visit qualityatbats.com to further your mental approach to the game. Yeah, man, Dad, I did a great job, and I was really impressed with his fielding knowledge and the perspectives he shared. What was your biggest call takeaway, Joey? Um, I think my biggest call takeaway is how important it is. One thing that he mentioned, and he didn't make a big deal over it, but I think is really important, is he talked about over at Yale as kind of like the routine of what they do every single day. They do PFPs. They do, you know, they do, the, you know, the 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 lanes, and they do all these things with fielding, and they every single day, and the importance of the individual uh, aspects of that, and just the importance of, you know, you don't have to do it, you know, for hours and hours and hours, but just making sure that you get it in every single day, and I think that's so big, and that goes over to other parts of your life, you know, let it be reading, let it be, um, you know, asking questions, let it be, you know. Uh, saying prayers, you know, things like that. I mean, just things that you do every single day and how important a routine is. That was my biggest call takeaway. How about you, Bo? Yeah, that's a good one. Um, The biggest thing I took away is we can never underestimate the power and importance of live BP. You know, he touched on, you know, taking fungo and, and doing these reps that aren't necessarily live. They're great, but you're never really getting that simulated game speed. So Make sure you guys are taking advantage of that of that BP setting. And he also mentioned how he works on those specialty plays because maybe coach isn't watching when you field in that ground ball. Um, but either way, just make sure you guys are taking advantage of that. It's happening in practice anyways. So go ahead and, and take advantage of it. Love it. Yep. Guys, as always, great episode to share. This is actually our first episode where we're breaking down and going into some high level stuff when it comes to fielding. So I really love, uh, you know, this is a great episode to share for that. Um, with that also being said, as always, we would love if you guys rate us, leave some comments, reach out to us on social media, share us there. Um, go on our, our website, the system.farm, whole bunch of resources we got on there for you too. Um, and just continue to reach out guys. Let us know what you guys want to, you want to listen to what things that you loved. Um, and also too, guys, do me a favor. Die die is a young man. That's really diving into, uh, He's just beginning. So go give him some love. Go shout him out on, you know, on some social media. Go follow him. I mean, he's going to be a dude. 
So you just follow him. Like I said, he's got so much time with them. So give me a, do me a favor, go give him a follow, go give him a shout. Um, let him know that we appreciate him just like me and Bo do. So let's do that until next time. Farm system out.